Oh, I like the weekends. <laughs> I, I do. Hey, it's John Hammer. Good to have you guys with us. Welcome to this week's episode of The Driving Show. Lots going on here. If you're new to the show, if you've uh, never tuned in before, you're in for a real treat. For the next hour, we're going to hang out together. We're going to talk about the automobile and what makes it so special. Why it, uh, why, What is it about cars and car people that brings enthusiasts together? That's really what we, what we, we talk about here on the show. Sometimes we talk about fixing cars. Sometimes we talk about brand new cars and used cars and motorsports. And if it has something to do with, well, I used to say with the internal combustion engine, but these days with electric cars, uh, you know, there's uh, an, enough of that going on that and some of them are actually interesting that folks like you and I are into it. And and we'll talk about those things as well. In fact, we've got an electric car story uh, coming up in just a little while. But uh, before the uh, before the end of the day, we got all kinds of things to talk about. Hey, have you been watching any of the uh, the World Series I know that doesn't sound anything that has nothing to do with motorsports or, or cars. Although you could argue that, um, oh, you know, I got a, well, I probably shouldn't tell you. So I've got a friend of mine who's got this idea because here's the thing. Professional athletes make poop tons of money, right? So they've got all this money. And what do they do? They go out and they buy themselves really expensive cars, right? Really powerful cars. And then what happens? And then they get into big wrecks. So I got a friend of mine actually teaches professional uh, athletes how to drive their cars isn't that a great idea that's a fantastic idea uh yeah i mean it really really is and it kind of comes out of the whole idea of when uh years ago and i'm, I'm talking 15 maybe even gosh even close to 20 years ago uh, I, I was an instructor at a teen safe driving program that's actually how i got into into uh well into my career i work in motorsport and automotive events uh, in my day life uh but that's kind of how i got into doing that doing a version of, of a program that would teach teenagers not driver's ed there's a difference here driver's ed just gets you a, a license uh, but actual performance driving so that the kids can understand how to handle cars well grown-ups are the same the only problem is that grown-ups were just too egotistical to admit that we suck behind the wheel, right? And so, and we really should. Every single one of us as, as adults could all use refresher courses, which honestly, the exact same format that, that we teach in those teen programs would be beneficial to so, 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 so many of us. It really is. Well, we could, you know, we could talk about that until we're blue in the face. But the truth of the matter is, most of us are not nearly as good of drivers as we think that we are, and uh, and that's uh, that, that causes trouble. But anyway, so I've been watching the, the baseball, and um, the other night, what was it on two? When, when was game two? Was that Wednesday night? Holy cow! Was that not the greatest baseball game you've ever watched? And I mean, I got to admit, if it doesn't have some sort of uh, propulsion system in it, I generally speaking don't pay a whole lot of attention to it. Now, I grew up in Detroit, so I watched the Detroit Tigers. I was born in 1969. I'm 48 years old. And the Tigers won the World Series in 1968, the year before I was born. But they also won it when I was a kid in 1984. I was, what, 14 or, yeah, yeah 14, 15 years old uh, when the Tigers won the World Series then. And that was a big deal to me. So baseball has always kind of been my game. Uh, stick and rest of stick and ball sports don't do a whole lot. Yes, I grew up in the, in the time of Steve Iserman and the Detroit Red Wings, uh, but I just never got into hockey. Uh, I'm, since I'm from Detroit, I've never actually seen professional football. We have the Detroit Lions. 
That's a joke, right? Work, <laughs> work with me here. Uh, but but yeah, baseball is definitely my sport. So it's been great to see. I mean, Justin Verlander, uh, you know, really pitching an amazing job the other day. And then when his team started to you know falter a little bit, what did he do? He came out there at the end of the game. He was trying to pump the guys up to say, hey, don't give up. And they didn't give up. And they actually wound up winning game two. So, I mean, that was pretty awesome. So anyway, short story is, yeah, I'm actually watching something in between the rest of my motorsports <laughs> this, uh, this weekend as we've got uh well we had uh, game three last night we've got more here over the weekend so uh it's good it's it's good stuff it's fun to see although again i'm gonna go out on my high horse here with november being just a couple of you know days away now i don't think the baseball should be played in november Especially since there is, I just don't. You know, Reggie Jackson is Mr. October for a reason. Because baseball is designed to be ended in October. Because it's flipping cold out. Would you Would you imagine what it's got to feel like in your hands to hit a nearly 100 mile per hour pitch with a wooden baseball bat with just a pair of, you know, cowhide gloves on your hands? I, yeah, that's just got me, you know, thinking about stuff. And, you know, of course, we, we talk about how there's a different... And maybe, you know what, if we've got time, I want to talk about the similarities between the World Series, the baseball playoffs, and the NASCAR playoffs. Because I was thinking about this the other day. I was hanging out with a buddy of mine, and we were talking about this. And I thought, you know, there are there's some similarities, but then there are some things that maybe NASCAR could learn from from some of the other stick-and-ball playoff type things. But, um, yeah, I guess we got to get to that. Uh, coming up in a couple of minutes here. Um, I know I'm looking at the I'm looking at the clock here. And I don't know if you can hear. Hang on, listen closely here. Can you hear that in the background? Okay, so later in the show, we're actually going to go outside of my studio. Now I broadcast from my home. I have a studio here in my home in Charlotte, North Carolina, and that's where I'm actually broadcasting from. Well, my neighbor is restoring a 1971 Dodge Challenger. And he, I've helped him work on this thing off and on for the for, for years. I mean, he's had it for a long time. And uh, and the car is actually right now, as we're sitting here in the studio, uh, and, and he's literally next door to me. So you can kind of sort of hear it, although I've got a pretty soundproof uh, studio here. But he, um, you can still kind of hear it. He is getting it um, uh, uh, dustless blasted. It's media blasting, but it mixes with water. It is really, really cool. Before we went on the air, I had a chance to go over there and take a peek at it. Um, We're going to try to step outside and and go actually talk with him. And and if I can, I want to talk with this technician who's actually doing the work right now because it is extremely cool. I'm going to put up some pictures of it, too. And Anyway, short story is we'll we'll get around to that coming up in a few minutes. Right now, all that run on here, though, let's uh, get ourselves right into the important stuff of the day and start things off this morning on The Driving Show with the news. Gordon Murray is the guy that was behind the original McLaren F1. You know, I mean, one of the you know the early, really, truly super, super cars. And he says that modern performance cars are too big, they're too fat, they're too full of technology, and they they just uh, there's too much of them. And so he wants to build his own car that's going to battle these overcomplicated and over overweight vehicles. So the idea here is that he's actually going to design or has designed a, a, a chassis, if you will, that can be used in a, a multitude of different situations. So I mean, he can do stuff like uh, he can make a pickup truck off of it he can make an suv off of it he can make a uh, clearly a sports car off of it and it all uses the same basic technology there it's called iStream is the name uh, that he's given it 
And the story is is that he's been pitching this concept to major manufacturers for a few years. Uh, he's had a couple of bites on it, but for the most part, it has not taken off the way he was hoping to. So perhaps maybe that's the reasoning behind him going out on his own and actually doing it himself. But this will actually be uh, his company's, um, uh, you know, their kind of their their cornerstone car. And so it is going to start off as a performance vehicle. That will be his first one up, and and watch for that coming uh, pretty soon. But Gordon Murray, the guy behind uh, behind the uh, the McLaren F1, and and Lord knows a whole bunch of other race cars and whatnot. That's actually very, very interesting. A number of people were injured when a car crashed through the front of a restaurant in Maryland. Did you see the video uh, of this? It's going on. Unfortunately, the surveillance video doesn't have any audio, so I can't play any audio for you over the over the radio here. But it is terrifying. It's this you know little neighborhood you know restaurant and bar kind of thing. And the guys are sitting there at the counter and there's, you know, there's a, I mean, it looks like a regular old neighborhood bar. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this car comes blasting through the door. I mean, there's debris flying all over the place. Ten people were injured in the uh, in the wreck. Now, the person driving the car says that uh, her brakes gave out, but she was only going 25 miles per hour. The investigation continues, but the police have already clearly said not a chance. Absolutely not. She was coming around a corner and then accelerated through the building, basically came around the corner and just launched right into the building. So yikes, man, that'll uh, that'll catch your attention for sure. Nissan has come up with a way to keep you safe around their electric cars. What is it about electric cars? What's one of the the things about electric cars in traffic? They're basically silent, right? And that's a problem, especially in, say, like a busy city center where whatever you know, electric motor noise, little some gear whine happens. Uh, it kind of blends in with the rest of the background noise. So what they have done is come up with a, a concept car that they say, they say sings. In fact, they actually call the technology Kento, which is the Italian word for I sing. The idea here is that this thing makes um, almost a musical type sound. And that is going to be essentially broadcast from the front of the car, giving pedestrians uh, the heads up that this car is coming. What's interesting about this is that that's not the only electric car that's dabbled with this technology. Uh, Chevrolet Volt has kind of like a chirp thing. The hybrid Toyota RAV4 beeps and pre-I... Prius, that's yes, that is the actual term for multiple Priuses. Uh, they have got uh, their own sound as well, so they've kind of got like this humming noise. So, uh, don't be surprised if you see that uh, one of these days you'll be driving around the road and, uh, and and hear a funky little noise. Look up and you see a car coming at you of all the crazy things. Do you get on Facebook much these days? You know, of course, we've got our own Facebook page at thedrivingshow.com. Takes you right over to our Facebook page. Come on over. Make sure you like it and share the page and, and get more folks paying attention to it. But Facebook earlier this week has announced a partnership with auto dealerships that will actually allow the Facebook marketplace to sell cars in, in a bit more of a, of a legitimate way. And it's it's the idea here is that it's going to make it a lot more convenient. You'll be able to search by mileage, by transmissions, by brands and things like that. It's not just a, a mishmash 
of things the way Facebook Marketplace currently is. And I love Facebook Marketplace. I've got this ridiculous thought that I need to have an RV to tow my race car with so that when I go to the racetrack in the summertime, I can do that. And then, of course, I justify it to myself by saying, well, you know, I can take my son camping and we can do all this and that and this and that. Really, at the end of the day, for as often as I race, and what do I race? Maybe half a dozen times a year. It's it's legitimately cheaper to just buy a hotel room when I go somewhere, but but I still kind of want an RV. So anyway, so that's why I was on Facebook Marketplace and, and ran across this new deal. Watch for it. It's in a beta program right now. It's not uh, not fully uh, operational yet, but don't be surprised if you see that in the near future uh, where they've got a partnership with values pulled from uh, Kelly Blue Book uh, and uh, listings from Edmunds, Cars.com, Auction 1, 2, 3, and a Social Dealer as well. So that's kind of a, a, a pretty cool idea. I, I definitely dig that. Finally, a British team is looking to figure out a way to go 1,000 miles per hour. The Bloodhound is a land speed record car that is currently powered by a jet engine, and the the team had the opportunity to give it a test just recently. Uh, They have the, uh, it's called an EJ200 jet engine from a Eurofighter Typhoon that's strapped to this thing. And I mean, honestly, the car looks like one of those typical... um, land speed record cars that you you know you've seen in the in the past and basically it's a big long torpedo with a big pointy nose on it and it's got a big giant air intake up on top and obviously the jet engine so they were able to make this run at a um, uh, at an airport recently and they did over 200 miles per hour right out of the box piece of cake and that's just on the regular jet engine that's on there but here's where they're going to try to really get get this thing moving Because to reach it, to reach 1,000 miles per hour, the plan is for the Bloodhound to be powered by a rocket. No kidding. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being the driver of that thing? I'm good, man. I'm I'm, Seriously, I'm good. All right, let's take ourselves a a quick break, you guys. When we come back, uh, we're going to see if we can get outside and go find out more about this dustless blasting that's going on next to my house because I think it's absolutely fascinating. And if you've ever worked on a car, if you've ever used a a bead blast, uh, some sort of a, you know, just a a cabinet, right, a a sandblast cabinet, imagine that on a gigantic scale. That's what's going on right outside of the studio here, and we're going to find out more about it that's coming up next as we learn more about restoring your car we're going to talk about car restorations a little bit today here on the driving show i'm john hammer stay right where you are we'll be right back welcome back to the driving show all right just like i mentioned we have actually left the studio and gone outside (laughs) because my neighbor i broadcast from a studio in my home and my next door neighbor is restoring a 1971 dodge challenger and he is having the thing dustless blasted today and would you believe the guy doing the work is former nascar driver mike bliss that's his business these days and so we're gonna find out a little bit more about what's going on over here all right so talk to me so the pot in the back is a wet pot blaster most sand blasters don't use water because it clogs everything up uh, with the wet pot blaster anything that sinks he can use as media so it's glass bead into the pot water and glass come through the hose and come out at the source Okay, so my question is, is uh, again, you mentioned the media. So where is it all? I mean, I... I it's it, all, there's bags of crushed glass over next to the unit, and he'll pour them into that back pot. 
But after he blasts it, there's not any debris. There's very little debris down there. Right, there's very, very little debris. Uh, the water keeps everything very heavy, keeps it down. That's what keeps it dustless. And also, the benefit of the water is you don't generate the heat that most sandblasting builds, so you don't warp expensive panels. This is really interesting. I'm going to post some photos up on our social site as well. If you follow the thedrivingshow.com over uh, at the driving show on Instagram. But this is really cool to see it getting into all the nooks and crannies, and I guess that's the best part. You know, blasting allows you to be able to do that. You'll never do this with sandpaper. Right, since it's a 71 Challenger, I wanted to make sure I did this one time and didn't have to go back and do it for the bubble ups and touch ups every two years. So this is getting it done right the first time, and a good strong foundation. And so now I want to actually talk to the guy doing the work over here. And it's a different kind of work than what we're used to seeing out of Mike Bliss. You guys recognize the name? Former NASCAR driver, Mike Bliss. And Mike, I want you to tell us about what it is that you're able to do with this machine. Well, the outfit that builds these units, Dustless Blasting, they're out of Texas. Um, they designed this. It, it strips paint, rust, powder coat, I mean, cement sealers it about strip anything and with the water it helps control the dust with doing a car it kind of cools the metal so it doesn't get any warpage yeah um, a lot of sand will kill hoods roofs where this doesn't have a problem doing that to watch you attack this entire 71 dodge challenger here uh, and it looked like i, I don't want to make it sound like it's easy yeah. but you made it look easy well, it is easy as far as um, taking the material off, but fighting the hose and when you start getting inside and, and underneath, you get a lot of blowback in your face and you're <laughs> constantly cleaning yourself up. I noticed that you had a, you had a, like a, a, a mask yeah. on, a, a shield there, and it was constantly covered in debris. Yeah, yeah so you get a lot of blowback. <laughs> but, I mean, this thing, you can up it to 130 PSI, and um, I run it at 80, so there's there's a lot more left there that can take off wow, take right. it off quicker. But yeah. I, I don't see it. I don't see why I need it. What really impressed me was, and, and I mean, obviously the term dustless is in is in the brand, is in the name of it. But how little schmutz <laughs> yeah. is left over. I mean, obviously we've got some. You know, there's some there, there's some 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 media on the ground. It's got to get cleaned up. But it, I mean, again, I've used a little blast cabinet before, and that's a disastrous mess in my garage. You just did an entire car, and I mean, there's not that much stuff left out there. Yeah, there, it all stays kind of within 25 feet of the car. You yeah. get blowback. You get particles that bounce off of stuff, and when you're hitting areas that it just misses and goes on by. But um. It's kind of a mess, but it, then again, it it's a small mess. The other thing is that you came here, my Mark's neighbor. You yeah. know, you came to his house and did it right here. So, you know, all you had to do was get this thing out of the garage, and and, and bring it out for you to, to work. I mean, from a from a consumer standpoint, that's got to be a huge selling point for you. Yeah, it is. I don't have a location. I get a lot of people want to bring stuff because they think it's cheaper. But, oh, yeah. I mean, I don't. I price it as. Um, you know, I, I just pay for my fuel, so. Yeah. Specifically for cars, Mark mentioned that when you were done blasting, you then used some sort of a, an anti-corrosion uh, coating spray. Well, you when you're blasting with water, if you don't have, it's called hold tight. Okay. If you don't have that in the blast pot, it'll rust because the water touches it and it'll rust. Yeah. So the hold tight is what stops it from flash rusting. And then at the end, I will take the 
hold tight and put it in a garden sprayer and then clean the car off because okay. any water it gets on it right now will just make it flash rust. And that's what he's saying. The plan is is to basically immediately we're going to get this thing up on a trailer and get it down to the end of the street and get it inside of a inside of a, a paint booth and get some um, uh, you know, get some spray on it. Right yeah, away. yeah. You you need to seal it within 72 hours. But then again. You know, it, it just, it's just the conditions. He's, he could put it in the garage, and it could probably stay there all winter and not flash rust wow. just because of the lower humidity yeah. and um, being in a garage. So, um, you know, it just, that's what they recommend, 72 hours. But yeah. I know people that wait three or four months. Yeah, well, it's impressive to watch it. This is the first time I've ever seen it in person. I've seen it on all the Saturday morning TV shows yeah. before, but to actually have it right here in the neighborhood and see it going down and, and knowing, I mean, I've helped Mark work on this car off and on for years now, and to see it getting ready for that next step is pretty cool. That's why I wanted to come out and say hi to you and, and, and get the story. All right, yeah, it, it's it's an animal. You're, it's it, pretty aggressive machine. The car, now that you've got all the paint off it, looks I mean, does it look, to me, it looks really good. Is it where you thought it would be? Is it, it better looks than you thought? exactly what I hoped it would look like. There's a couple of extra spots, but they were next to spots that I knew I'd have to do anyway. So I'm not scared of anything on it, which is good. And now it's uh, hopefully full steam ahead. Well, it's pretty cool, man. It was fun to watch this thing, get the, the dustless blasting right here in your neighborhood and right here in your driveway. Now you got to exactly. clean this mess up now, huh? Yeah, the wife may kill me. She, <laughs> she doesn't know the exact amount of uh, dust on the ground, but I'll clean it up. Well, we got to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be back inside the studio uh, and talking about actually our uh, driving show song of the week. That's up next right here on The Driving Show. Stay right where you are. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Driving Show. I'm John Hammer, and in a previous life, I was a, a, a radio personality. I hate the, the term disc jockey, but you know, I worked at, at music radio stations, and I worked at you know rock stations and country stations and pop stations, and I did all that stuff over the years and years and years. And I always, as a car guy growing up, especially, you know, I could always tell that there was obviously a, a link between automobiles and music. It's just so, so, so natural. And that's why one of the cool things we get to do here on The Driving Show every week is actually feature our driving show song of the week and it's a song that uh, that'll have something to do with a car it'll sound good in a car maybe the the guy who uh, who, who wrote the song or sang the song is a car guy I, whatever it is there's always a tie-in some sort of an automotive tie-in here this this one right here Billy Joel is one of those guys who has written songs about cars for many many years uh, he has also wrecked a number of cars over the years <laughs> I don't know if he wants to admit to that in public, but it's true. Uh, he actually had one uh, one uh, uh, one run where he wrecked three cars. I mean, destroyed three cars over just a couple of years. Now, none of those were you know DUIs. Although after the third one in such a short time, uh, he did actually go to rehab. Speaking of Billy Joel, did you hear? Did you see him in the news? He he's a, a dad again. Billy Joel is 68 years old, and he and his wife just had a baby. Yes, and he did it. The, yes, he did it the old-fashioned way. No, it was nothing artificial. It was yep. His his stuff still. Yeah, he still got a loaded gun. So uh, pretty impressive stuff right there. So anyway, so his uh, his wife uh, Alexis is 35, and she just had a baby. He's 68. She's 35. Billy, Billy's oldest daughter, Alexa, which is the daughter that he had with Christy Brinkley, she's 31. 
Do you follow me on that one? His daughter's 31, his wife is 35, and he just had a baby just this week. And so to help celebrate that, a song from Billy Joel that actually has a couple of different car references inside of there, it's still rock and roll to me. It's our driving show song of the week. <laughs> What's the matter with the clothes I'm wearing? Can't you tell that your tie's too wide? Welcome back to the age of jive Where have you been hiding out lately, honey? You can't dress trash until you spend a lot of money Everybody's talking about the new sound funny But it's still rock and roll to me What's the matter with the car I'm driving? Can't you tell that it's out of style? Get a set of white wall tires Are you gonna cruise a miracle mile? Nowadays you can't be too sentimental Your best bet's true baby blue continental Hot fuck, cool punk Even if it's old junk Still rock and roll to me If you just give it half a chance Don't waste your money on a new set of speakers You get more mileage from a cheap pair of sneakers Next phase, new wave, dance craze Anyway, still rock and roll with me First number one hit, and uh, Billy Joel, congratulations, man, had a baby this week. Well, his wife had a baby. His 35-year-old wife had a baby. His daughter is 31 years old from Christy Brinkley. He is 68. And, uh, yeah, there you go, man. Still rock and roll to me. All right, time for us to take a quick break. Uh, when we come on back, uh, I've been hinting at this for several weeks. I made the official announcement uh, on our social media, on Instagram, and on Facebook uh, earlier, uh, a couple of days ago, I guess, earlier this week, about a week or so ago. Uh, I am officially headed to SEMA, to the SEMA convention on Monday. I'm going to tell you more about that, and we're going to hear from Jeff Allen from TV's The Car Chasers. We've got that coming up next. Stay right where you are here on The Drive. Show. Hey, it's Tanner Gray, driver of the NHRA Pro Stock Chevy Camaro, and you're listening to The Driving Show with John Hammer. 
Saturday morning at the driving show, and it's almost time for me to pack my bags. <laughs> I'm John Hammer. Good morning. Welcome to the show. And I've got a, just an amazing opportunity. Now, I've been to the SEMA convention. Have you, you, you? Obviously, you're listening to the show. You're familiar with what the SEMA convention is. SEMA is the Specialty Equipment Marketing Association, and that is the group that oversees pretty much anything aftermarket that has anything to do with, with cars, uh, from things like wheels and tires to uh, filters and window tinting and lighting and, you know, silly little tchotchke stuff, but also really important things like, um, you know, uh, electronic systems, computer systems, tuning systems. Uh, if it has something to do with the automotive aftermarket, uh, the companies are there, right? So I am going to go. Now, I've gone in the past. Uh, I've actually done uh, I've actually done some broadcasts. I was actually the host for uh, uh, some, uh, some webcasts a couple of years ago uh, for a couple of different brands, which was really cool. That was a whole lot of fun. I got a chance to work with uh, uh, Crash Gladys and Kenny Sargent from from, uh, the TV show Speed Freaks. That was really fun. Uh, Steve Mignante that you guys see on the Barrett Jackson television coverage on Velocity. Uh, Steve and I worked together on some of those things. We did some video together there, some television stuff there. So, I mean, I've had some really great opportunities. But this time out, now that was always in conjunction with other things. This year, though, I get to go out there on Monday and on Tuesday and Thursday and Friday. So those three of the four days of SEMA. I won't be, uh, I won't be uh, broadcasting there on, on Wednesday, but on uh, Tuesday and uh, Thursday, Friday, I will be actually broadcasting on the Shell Pennzoil uh, uh, Pioneering Performance Stage, and this is an awesome opportunity, guys. I mean, um, you know, we've got guys like uh, like Alan Taylor, who is just a legendary, you know, automotive journalist as far as, you know, radio, I mean, Lord knows the guy's done so much radio in his, in his life. It's incredible. Um, you're going to see, um, oh gosh, uh, who else? You're going to see the guys from like, uh, uh, Welder Up, the uh, Vegas Hot Rods, the TV show, they're going to be broadcasting up on this stage. Uh, Jeff Allen is the guy who made it all happen. Uh, he's the guy from TV's The Car Chasers, and that's kind of how I got in on this. Uh, Jeff and I have run into each other several times over the years at some different events. We've got some common friends. You know how that goes. One thing leads to another. Uh, he has been a guest here on The Driving Show. I've been a guest on his podcast called Skid Marks. And uh, and then I've also been a, a guest, you know, on, uh, on on the stage as well. So it's been really cool. And they they came to me, and so they said, "Hey, John, are you coming out to SEMA?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm coming out to work." They said, well, "Would you have some free time to come over and do some broadcasting?" What well, was going to be just one uh, a one off thing turned into three days worth of broadcasting out there. So if you happen to go to SEMA this year, if you're going to be in Vegas next week, make sure you come on by and say hi to me on the Shell uh, Pioneering Performance Stage. I am super super excited. But you know that brings back some uh, a really fun. Time time when Jeff was on uh, on the show with us here, Jeff Allen. And again, we mentioned TV's The Car Chasers, but he has also done some other things and had some other opportunities that have maybe just kind of skated on by. And uh, it was real fun to have Jeff Allen tell us some of those stories here on The Driving Show. You know, for a long time, I wanted to be a, um, you know, a, a Navy fighter pilot. And I got to the point to where I even went to the recruiters and I was, I was ready. I, I, you know, what's my game plan? What are we doing here? And the guy told me, he says, man, I got to be honest with you. You're six, five. You won't fit in the cockpit. (laughs) (laughs) So so he said, unless you want to fly cargo planes, you do not want to sign up for this program. (laughs) All right. It's time for us to take a break. I can't seriously, guys, I can't wait. Get into SEMA. I get into town on uh, Monday night uh, and then broadcasting uh, on uh, Tuesday and uh, Thursday and Friday. On Wednesday, I'm actually doing an event up at uh, Spring Mountain uh, Motorsports Park about an hour away up in Pahrump. But, uh, but those three, 
three uh, those other three days I'll be there so if you're in town absolutely come on by and say hi alright let's take a quick break we gotta go uh, come on back in a few minutes time for our uh, driving show motorsports update we gotta talk about uh, Max Verstappen what happened at uh, Coda last week and uh, why it's kind of a scam it, it, it did he get hosed kind of sort of but he's not exactly free and clear we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about changes in IndyCar and uh, and we're also going to talk about uh, what's going on in NASCAR silly season stuff all of that is next right here on the driving show stay right where you are we'll, we'll be right back yeah and welcome back to The Driving Show. Uh, I cannot believe this. It's already to the end of the show. We're in the final segment of uh, The Driving Show, and that means it's time for our motorsports update. And now for your listening pleasure. <laughs> Talking about everything that's got to do with the competition of stuff. Uh, obviously, uh, NASCAR in the playoffs right now, and NASCAR is at Martinsville this weekend. Uh, interesting race, too, that we're going to have tomorrow because it's going to start in the daytime, but because of the uh, you know the later start in there and they, of course they got to get everything coordinated with you know football and television and all that stuff uh, and the sun is going down and they've got these new LED lights at Martinsville so the race is going to start in the daytime but it's actually going to end uh, as the sun goes down so they're going to have to turn on those lights it should be very interesting to see there's been a lot of talk on whether or not NASCAR should use those lights to do a full nighttime under the light race at Martinsville make one of the two races a full night race. I, I don't think that's a bad thing, right? The Wrigley Field is an amazing place. It didn't lose any of its mystique at all uh, when they added lights to it. In fact, it gave more people the opportunity to uh, to be part of the fun. Now, last weekend was the United States Grand Prix at Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas. One of the greatest racetracks on the planet. And the fact that it's just right here in the States is absolutely incredible. Um, while the, the podium was interesting. I mean, it was fine to watch Lewis Hamilton win. Hooray, hooray, hooray. Okay, fine. Um, the real story was Max Verstappen, right? I mean, he was absolutely amazing. He started, what did he start? 17th? And at the very end of the race, on the last lap, with just, you know, turns to go, he hunts down Kimi Raikkonen in the Ferrari and makes this unbelievable pass, makes it stick, and gets himself on the podium. Except he's not on the podium, and that stunk. Uh, he absolutely did cross the line. And see, here's the thing. At, at Coda, and if, if you've watched it on TV or you've been there in person, you know, it's huge runoff room. So they've painted the lines on the edge to denote the edge of the track. And if you go over the edge of the track to a certain point, that is, that's out of bounds, and that's a penalty. And I got to say, he clearly went out of bounds. He did. Here's the problem, though. The problem that we had in that Formula One race, as far as the officiating is concerned, is the fact that Max was not the only driver who went over the white line during the race. However, Max was the only one who got a penalty for it. Uh, yeah, the whole weekend, you know, you can run off track everywhere you want. So uh, that's fine. If, if it's like that, you know, it's the same for everyone. So you can do your thing. And then I had a good fight with Bottas, but he runs off the track, comes back on in front of me. And I had to overtake him afterwards, but there are no penalties given. And then I, I basically fight with, with Kimi in the last lap. And I go like five to ten centimeters off the track. And, you know, I think the crowd was loving it and everything. So... 
yeah, it's really weird to, to give me a penalty and also like that quick after a race, like at least then have a talk in the stewards room and then you can always decide, but it looks so bad on TV to pull someone away from the podium. Um, again, <laughs> I had the same last year in Mexico, but they, they clearly don't learn from it. And also for the sport, you know, this is killing because everybody was loving it. And you know, they, they're on a good way to kill the sport like this. Lap one, turn one, Sebastian Vettel in the Ferrari goes full four wheels over the white line. It's clearly shown in his on, uh, on, on board camera and the helicopter shot from overhead and from other people's cars. You can clearly see it. Did he get a penalty? No, he did not. What's up with that? Carlos Sainz on lap number. It was also on lap one. He went off four wheels off. All right. Uh, Danny Kvyat. He went off four wheels off. Uh, on that same lap, actually, uh, Valtteri Botas did it. He he did it um, at turn 19, 9 and nineteen are like the two really big areas there on the track where it's really tempting to do that to go out there and, and do it. And these guys have all done it. Now, here's the thing: the rule states you have to number one, you have to cut the track, and then you have to. The second part of it is you have to gain an advantage. And you could argue that maybe not everybody gains an advantage right there. But, I mean, Vettel going over the line, he, he why did he go over the line? Well, did he go over the line to get a better launch coming off a corner? I mean, you could argue that if he'd stayed on the track, maybe he would have been a little slower. Maybe then Lewis Hamilton would have hunted him down and caught him on, on that lap one incident. Who's to say? Now, speaking of Lewis Hamilton, he actually did also at turn nine during qualifying. He went four wheels off. Again, clearly visible in the uh, uh, in the onboard video. And this was on the lap that he won the pole with, right? No penalty. However, here's the thing. At the British Grand Prix, in 2016, just last year, Hamilton did exactly the same thing during qualifying, and that lap was disallowed. It was the exact same situation here at Coda, but no penalty last weekend. I promise you that if he was driving out there on his qualifying lap, there was a reason he was out there. He didn't just do that and say, oh, my bad, right? You know he actually was doing something, something up. So I don't know the answer to it, but I, no, you know what? No, I do know the answer to it. Formula One needs to be more consistent in their rules. If you're going to have the rules, stick with the rules. Did Max Verstappen break the rule by going over the line? Yes, he did. But so did Vettel, Carlos Sainz, Danny Kvyat, Valtteri Bottas. Those four other guys did it during the race. And those are just the ones we got video of, right? So we know those four guys did it. Why didn't they get the penalties? They, they clearly made up space because of what they did. So um, they got to work on They really got to work on that stuff. They, they, they really do. Over in IndyCar, Ed Jones is replacing Tony Kanaan at Chip Ganassi Racing. Yeah, it's, um, it's great to be able to be picked, well, picked to drive for, for a team like Chip Ganassi Racing. As you said, it's uh, one of the top teams in IndyCar and, and has always been that way. So, um uh, it's been a lot of hard work, you know, coming to the States, as you said, three years ago, racing in Indy Lights, winning that championship, then Rookie of the Year last year in IndyCar, and it's been a very quick progression. So um, I think everything, you know, has gone to, gone to plan, if, if not better than that, and, and learning from the wealth of knowledge and experience that, that, that comes from this team. So I realized that I have a fantastic opportunity to, to win races and, you know, fight at the front the whole year. And, uh, yeah, we're going to do everything we can to make that happen. 
Should be interesting. The kid shows a lot of talent. I think I think that could be a, a good move. I really do. And again, remember, you guys, I'm headed to SEMA next week. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going on uh, on Monday to Las Vegas. The Shell uh, uh, Pennzoil stage where I'm going to be broadcasting from is actually outside of the facility. So you don't actually even need a credential. So even if you're just a fan, if you're just a friend, if you want to just come on by, you can still come on by and see me at the uh, Shell Pioneering Performance stage uh, without a credential to get into the SEMA show in Las Vegas next week, all right? Thanks for being a part of the show, you guys. We got to get on out of here. I know we're way late on time, and uh, and I got to go pack my clothes, all right? Thanks to everybody for being a part of this one, and we will see you next week as we talk more cars from Las Vegas and the biggest car guy convention on the planet. SEMA will be there with the driving show. I'm John Hammer. Take care. I'll see you then. Bye-bye.